0: So now, listen, and gentlemen, it is start time. Are you ready for start time?
1: From WBEZ Chicago and PRX, this is Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis.
2: And I'm Greg Cott. This week, we take a refresher course on new wave music with Lori Majewski, co-author of Mad World, an oral history of new wave artists and the songs that define the 1980s.
3: You know, what Vince Clark did to program the music for early Depeche Mode, there were no sounds, presets in those keyboards back in the day. This was truly forward-thinking stuff.
1: And we're joined by singer Alison Moyer, who got her start in synth-pop group Yaz, but has since had a really rich and rewarding solo career.
2: That's all coming up on Sound Opinions.
3: Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island Beer Company, brewers of Goose IPA, Four Star Pills, Sophie Farmhouse Ale, and Bourbon County Brand Stout. More at gooseisland.com. We don't need to be the only beer you drink. We just want to be the best beer you drink.
2: You're listening to Sound Opinions, and later on we're going to interview Allison Moyet, who was in that great new wave band Yaz with uh, with Vince Clark, who went on to form Erasure.
1: Uh, but Moyer herself had an incredible career as a solo artist after that. Incredible voice, Greg. That's later in the show. But first, we thought a new wave primer was in order.
2: Duran Duran with the 1982 hit Rio, an iconic track by an iconic band that really captures a specific time and place. If you heard that song, you knew where you were and where you heard it, probably MTV.
1: When you hear that song, you're immediately taking back to that 1980s new wave era. I'll confess, Greg, that in the 80s, I had a band called The Interns, who were very new wave. I had the skinny tie <laughs> and everything. Uh, uh, we covered not one, but two Flock of Seagulls songs. I ran telecommunication. Little inconsistent, though. We also played Rush's 2112.
2: You know, the fact that you make that sound almost like a a confession as opposed to an admission, Jim, says a lot about uh, the way some people view New Wave. It's sort of put in that same category as disco for some people. Uh, New Wave music doesn't get a lot of respect in some circles. Uh, It does get a lot of respect here, though. Our guest,
1: Laurie Majewski, would note there's more to New Wave than one-hit wonders and those strange haircuts. Absolutely, Greg. Laurie and co-author Jonathan Bernstein wrote a swell book, Mad World, an oral history of New Wave artists and the songs that define the 1980s, and we spoke with Laurie about New Wave in 2014, starting the conversation with a definition. What is New Wave? To me, it's the era right after punk in New York. Talking heads, the cars, skinny ties. But for Laurie, the story starts in the U.K.,
3: Yes, people in the U.K. don't really love the term new wave. To them, it may mean more, like you said, skinny ties like Elvis, Costello, even Talking Heads. Over in the U.K., they called it new pop. Mm. And um, we really define it as the time from, say, right post-punk, like 1977, 78, through until Band-Aid and Live Aid we see as the end of the era. And it was a time that really it feels like record companies and record labels people were off-duty, because they let let these bands do whatever they wanted. There were no A&R guys. There were no wardrobe stylists. At this point, these punks, they wanted something else. Punk, um, as you know, in the U.K., lasted really only for about a year. And the people who were the original punks, they got bored really quickly, especially when the masses embraced punk like they did. So they were looking for, for an outlet. And bands like Joy Division formed in Modern English on the one. Hand, they were like the more rock driven bands, and then you had on the other punks like Gary Newman and the guys in the Human League saying, You know what? We're gonna go in the direction of craft work. You started by saying that this this era doesn't get a lot of respect. And I can tell you, Durannies do not get a lot of respect. Growing up in in New Jersey, all I wanted in my whole life was to meet Duran Duran. And, and, you know, I was reading smash hits and star hits at the time, and I thought oh gosh, maybe if I became a journalist, I can actually fulfill that dream of meeting John Taylor and Simon LeBon, Nick Rhodes. You know, we here in the United States, we didn't have the full effect of David Bowie or I hadn't ever heard of Roxy music. So when Gary Newman appears on my television set on MTV, one of the very first videos I ever saw was Cars, I thought he was the most original thing I'd ever seen in my life. It was like space aliens had landed in my home. That's what it was like. And and it it was the music, the sound, the audio, but it was also the visual. And I think that's why it, it shook me up the way it did.
1: So the three ingredients here really, like you said earlier, new technology, the synthesizers coming in, this particular the digital synthesizers, a new audience, right? Punk had shown the record companies, that there was a new young audience out there that didn't want, you know, the Allman Brothers anymore or Yes or Genesis. There was something new in the air. But hopefully they could be managed a little easier than those nasty sex pistols. And then this new technology, MTV, a platform for this stuff.
3: Right. It was a total accident because if there had been ample videos for the likes of REO Speedwagon, we really would never have seen these weird guys coming over from the U.K. wearing eyeliner and lipstick. They were looking to alternative radio. They're like, oh, my gosh, maybe we should start playing the stuff that channels like K-Rock in L.A. and L.I.R. here in New York. Maybe we should be playing those videos.
1: You know, in the. Indie underground that was happening just down the hill from you, from from Weehawken, in Maxwell's and such. Right, this stuff was considered very commercial, but it was revolutionary in a different way. Suddenly, people of alternative sexualities are showing up on your TV. There's a quote in the book from Alison Moyet of Yaz that crystallizes it for me, and she says, looking back the 80s, there was so much more room for diversity. A freak was more celebrated than it is now. And from this distance now, you know, Bob Paul Westerberg are freaks just like uh, Alison Moyet, or dare I say it, that guy in A Flock of Seagulls.
3: Well, in the UK, which is where Alison is from, you had the whole... Club scene that really embraced the new romantic era and the new romantic that was like a year over in the UK. But you had Spandau Ballet that was the house band for the Blitz, which was kind of like you know a couple of years past Studio 54 here in New York. They had people dressing up like they were like Greek goddesses and, and guys wearing makeup. And suddenly, after that Blitz club became so popular all around the UK, you had many Blitz clubs, and that's how during. Duran came to be. You know, you had Birmingham wanting to be that way as well. And and so actually Spandau Ballet came before Duran Duran. And, and, And in a lot of ways, maybe Duran wouldn't even exist if not for Spandau Ballet paving that way for them.
1: Laurie, in your book, you go through some of the iconic bands and songs of 80s new wave. But let's start with Duran Duran. You call yourself a uh, Duranny, unapologetic about it. Why are they so special and what holds up today?
3: Well, as we say in the book, they are the Rolling Stones of this era. Here we are 30-something years later. They're still recording. And it's interesting, for a long time, as I said earlier, Duranis were kind of like, you know, we, we didn't get any respect. We the, We were the Rodney Dangerfield of fans. You know, when I loved the Smiths. Everybody was like, oh, your literary quotient goes up when you love the Smiths. There, there was nothing, you know, I didn't get any, I didn't get slagged off for loving the Smiths. But for Duran, it was one of those things that it took years for pop culture to come around to them. And I remember it at, at some time in the mid 2000s, you had Justin Timberlake wanting to work with them and Timbaland. And you had um, Gwen Stefani and No Doubt saying that they had been such an influence. And suddenly the culture had come around to them. And so now, all these years later, you know, there were guys at the show. I remember when you'd go to a show and the only guy that was there was a dad. People have really realized that beyond the pretty boy good looks and the great videos were some of the best songs to come out of the 80s for sure. They combined the grit of a guitar band and coming out of punk. They, they had a really strong guitar um, and drums going, coming into it, you know, right away. That first album, that first rendering album is, is very tight. And John Taylor says in the book, you know, they modeled their rhythm section after Chic and after the sound and vision from Bowie. And that's why they came to work with someone like Nile Rogers. you know, mid through the 80s on Wild Boys and The Reflex. Duran Duran is Mark Ronson's favorite band. And he said, working with them, you're just reminded, they, they are just such good musicians, every single one of them. He basically says, you know, this isn't a song about sex. It is sex.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's a key point, because punk was not sexy. You know, everybody in punk went as far out of their way as possible to not be sexy, and now here was two years later these bands that were all about sex
3: well, they wanted to be pop stars. Adam Ant, he was one of the original punks. In fact, Sex Pistols opened up for his band. And even he, as the headliner that night, was so taken with the Sex Pistols that he was like, wow, I'm gonna change this thing up. But a year later, they were sick of the spitting, they were sick of the safety pins, they thought it was dirty, and they wanted to be pop stars. And and um, you know, Adamant went to his label and was like, you know, we want girls to like us. We want to write pop songs. And they were like, wait, that's not cool. In the end, They sold so many records, you know, Adamant went from kind of being a punchline, I mean, no one wanted to sign him as a punk, to being this huge pop star that really paved the way for a lot of the bands in this book.
2: After a short break, more on the history of New Wave with Laurie Majewski. And later, an interview with singer Allison Moyet. That's in a minute on sound opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
0: We're gonna set them, set them, we suck
4: Sound Opinions is supported by Dark Matter Coffee, an importer and roaster of direct-sourced coffees, offering a variety of signature blends and barrel late selections at darkmattercoffee.com. Dark Matter Coffee, get freshly roasted.
0: Looking from a window above, it's like a story of love. Yesterday, we're moving farther.
1: Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner with the flock of seagulls haircut over there is Greg (laughs) Cott, and that is the 1982 hit, Only You, by Yaz. The group was a major player on the New Wave scene in the UK, and we'll talk to one of its members, Alison Moyet, later in the show. Right now, we're talking about New Wave with Laurie Majewski, whose book, Mad World, gives an oral history of that period we were talking about synths earlier let's talk about another band Human League you mentioned him in in my biography of Lester Banks many people have remarked upon the fact that uh, Dare was the album that was on Lester's turntable when he died you know as if (laughs) Human League killed Lester Banks you know I actually think he would have liked it I remember buying the Don't You Want Me Baby single with seconds on the B-side I loved
5: it
3: Human League were two completely different groups. I mean, we give the story of the very beginning with being boiled. And, and along with warm leatherette and craftwork, that's the beginning of the new wave era. But of course, by the time Human League reached our shores in my teenage years, it was an ABBA-esque band with this, you know, Don't You Want Me song that was such a juggernaut. song really brought New Wave to America. I think Lester would have loved it because he was very forward-thinking and um, that's what New Wave was. When you think about New Order and Blue Monday and how that changed the face of music. And by the way, Bernard Sumner says in the book, the way they made that song. They needed a, quote, scientist to program the sequencers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was this was not easy stuff. I think um, New Wave gets a lot of shtick because of the synthesizer, because it's not real sounds. It's not someone physically playing a guitar. But, you know, what Vince Clark did to program the music for early Depeche Mode, there were no sounds, presets in those keyboards back in the day. This was truly forward-thinking stuff.
2: Talking with Laurie Majewski about New Wave here on Sound Opinions, and Laurie, obviously, on one end of the serious artist spectrum, you've got Human League and Yaz, groups with lots of substance and still lauded by critics. And then on the other hand, you have Aha, which is basically the epitome of a one-hit wonder. And when people talk about the disposable nature of some of this music, they may think of a band like Aha. Uh, I do believe they have Norway's one and only still international chart <laughs> hit with "Take on Me."
3: Had a 20-something-year career. But maybe a band like Kaja Gugu, which actually only put out <laughs> one record: Too Shy. too shy produced by Nick Rhodes of Duran Duran and we ended up giving them a ton of pages in this book they just had a very dramatic story they kicked their singer Lamal out at the height of their fame I mean what band does that when you think oh one hit wonder but that one hit was one of the greatest bass lines of any new wave song so I like to think that even you know the one hit wonders in this book have a lot of merit
1: Some of these stories are so poignant because as you look at it now, as we look at the, the dying carcass rotting of the music industry, you know, this was the, kind of the last gasp of the big old, we'll sign you, we'll make you a star, and then we'll dispose of you and you won't have had made a dime You know, <laughs> of it. Right? New wave musician after new wave musician just told you about how it was this great ride and then it was over and now they're like working a jiffy loop.
3: <laughs> well, um, 30 years on, a lot of these guys, I don't think that they're working at Jiffy Lube. But as Chris Butler from The Waitresses recently told me, he couldn't put his kid through Harvard, but he could put him through a, you know, a decent state school.
0: <laughs> I know what boys like. I know what guys want. I know what boys
2: you mentioned the longevity of some of these songs you know a great example of that is a band you write about extensively in the book tears for fears gary Jules' cover of mad world completely revived that song but also brought the band back into promise now they're once again together and, and, and uh, recording some new music
0: All around me are familiar faces worn out places worn out faces
3: so interesting about that band is that they didn't talk for 10 years. Right after Sowing the Seeds of Love, after being together for like 15 years, you know, it's hard when you're in a duo. You only can hate the other person after a while. And um, that's what happened. And, and it's interesting. It took at least 10 years for Kurt and Roland to start talking again. And I think that the Gary Jules version really helped to make them realize what a strong back catalog they have. All
2: I think they paled in comparison with some critics to, uh, say, Morrissey or Pet Shop Boys. You know, they they were these heavy songs, melancholy vibe. You know, they were uh, advocates of primal scream therapy, I guess. But now you look back and you go, man, a lot of this stuff was pretty catchy. And uh, Roland Arzobal and Kurt Smith are kind of now, I think, getting some late career recognition as these better than average songwriters. To me, Tears for Fears is a very different band than Duran Duran. Did you appreciate them in their time?
3: I did. I remember thinking they were quite sullen. <laughs> um, and I do remember thinking that, I mean, that record, Songs from the Big Chair, was one of probably the biggest album of any of these bands. Um, and I remember thinking they were very played out, that Shout was all over the radio. shout. shout. Years later, I mean, now, does a week go by that I don't hear Everybody Wants to Rule the World on the radio? No, and I never turn the station. It is pretty interesting when I was talking to Roland Orzabal, he said that he was listening to the radio and Girls on Film was actually on the radio when he sat down to write Mad World. Hmm. And he thought, what a, you know, why is that such an, that's such an upbeat song, you know, Girls on Film? And here I am writing this sad, sullen song. And, and that's the thing. You have to remember, there were two very different band, types of bands to come out of New Wave. You had the very upbeat, colorful bands like Duran Duran, like Culture Club. And then you had these bands like New Order and Tears for Fears. I mean, New Order, yes, it's a dance. It, they're a dance band, but those lyrics are dark so some bands they responded to the 80s and thatcherism and you know the constant threat of nuclear annihilation Hmm. they responded to it with well we're going to dance through it you know and some like tears for fears were like we don't see what there is to be so happy about
2: Lori Majewski is the co-author of Mad World, An Oral History of New Wave Artists and the Songs that Define the 1980s.
1: Lori, thanks for chatting with us on Sound Opinions.
3: Oh, wow, this was amazing. Thank you.
1: Now we want to hear from you. What music do you fondly remember from the New Wave era? Let us know on our hotline, 888-859-1800, or reach out to us on Twitter or Facebook. When we come back, we'll talk to Alison Moyer, an artist that got her start in the new wave scene, or the new pop scene, as the Brits called it. And since then, she's never stopped evolving. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
2: Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott. He's Jim Dirigatis, And that's a little bit of our guest this week, Alison Moyet, singing that song, Situation. As we talked about earlier, Moyet got her start in the early 80s as the lead singer in the British synth-pop duo, Yaz, alongside Vince Clark, who had just left Depeche Mode. The thing about, well, there are many things to like about Yaz, but what I loved about them was that minimalist sound. Clark did these really stark arrangements with the synthesizer, the machines essentially, Mm -hmm. and then you had this amazing voice over the top of it. Basically a soul singer singing with these machines, and the contrast there with the melodies and the music was just extraordinary. Yaz made two very successful records in the U.K., Upstairs at Eric's and You and Me Both.
1: And then the band broke up in 1983, and Allison embarked on a very fruitful solo career. Absolutely, Greg. Her debut album, Alf, came out a year later, and she's continued to make great records ever since. I've been a fan of hers since the beginning. I think that that powerful, soulful voice that empowered feminist perspective, Greg, I think she is a force of nature and it's hard not to be sucked up in that energy. In mid-2017, she released yet another great album, Other, which is a record we'll talk about in a bit. But first, I started the conversation talking about Yaz. I wanted to know about the differences between her and her Yaz bandmate, Vince Clark, and what happened that that band ended so soon.
6: We're very different. You know, I come from this uh, French peasant family, and we have no Mm -hmm. problem expressing ourselves table-thumping. is a lot of passion, but we don't hang on to anything. You know, I don't don't bear grudges. He he was that very English family, which is, you know, everything's not laid out. Everything is kind of held back and and, and brewed upon, you know. So it it wasn't a good combination. And then also when he'd split up with Depeche, you know, it was a sad time from this was his first band. These were his, uh, you know, school year friends, and, you know, the first experience to share. It's like a a marriage breaking up. He was Really looking for another relationship. I was the transition. He wanted to prove a point with only you, you know. If and you it's were just the rebound. <clears throat> I was the rebound, yeah. yeah. I was just the I don't need you. Looking from a window above, it's like a story
7: of love. Can you hear me?
0: Came back only yesterday, I'm moving farther.
6: I'd been playing in bands before any of them in, in Basildon, you know. I was in the same class as Fletcher and Martin Gore at school and, mm-hmm. and later Dave Garnett at college. And uh, Vince, I knew the least well, actually. But he knew what my voice was like uh, when he'd written the song, and, and so he just asked me to come and demo on it. And as far as I was concerned, that's all that was going to be happening a yeah. demo.
1: Yeah. And then it led to stardom and, and yeah. two successful records right yeah, yeah. and then the whole bid, right although we then... already
6: split up before we started writing you and me both that only happened really because his publisher said look you keep doing well and then you know jump in ship at least sort of like try and get a little bit of a ah, you
7: know
6: ah. you know a little bit of carpet under your foot and so i think he only did it for that reason
1: Your debut album comes out in 84 and it's a huge hit in the UK. It's extremely exciting uh, thing to have this successful solo album, but did you feel pressure to keep making Alf part two and part three and four and 5?
6: You know, I enjoyed the experience of it, but, but I'm I'm a suck-it-and-see kind of person. It's like I like trying things. You know, I, I am a doer rather than a consumer, and, and that relates to all things in my life. If I want something in my life, I try and participate at it, you know. So I made the Alf album, and that was a really interesting way. It was a different way to make an album than I had with Vince. That was like, great, oh, that was interesting. Never at any point in time thinking that is who I intend to be. Or even that I'd have a career that would last 35 years beyond that, and yeah. and that was who I was, you know, wanted to be. And you know, our voices change, and I'm a lyric writer, and I and I write from experience and from uh, you know personal feelings, and those those things change. Your sentiments change, and you have a different voice and different narrative as you get older. And some of the whining that I would have done as a as a kid, <laughs> you know, I'm not a whiny person. You know, it's like I'm, a, you know, I'm a bit, a bit inured to it. Is this
7: love?
6: I was very influenced by Janis Joplin, you know, right. as, a, as a kid, and so. You know, before I'd even, you know, snogged a boy, you know, it was like a case of, you know, I, I wanted my heart broken before I ever wanted to fall in love because that, mm-hmm. that kind of crying into the wind seemed so much more appealing, you know. Yeah. The, the Janis Joplin torment. I mean, I remember being 16 and, and buying some uh, rum because I heard that she drank rum trying to become an alcoholic <laughs> so that I could be like Janis, you know. And, and the thing is, I never liked the taste of it, you know. And I remember my mum just looking at me and just, you know, you know, just shook her head. And it was just that derision as opposed to fury that meant... Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is this isn't a rebellion, is it? Even my mother's not impressed. <laughs> well,
1: that you know, isn't it uh, tragic, Allison, that that romantic myth live hard die young, you know, abuse yourself, yeah. you know, it persists and young people are seduced by it. Isn't it cooler to be, uh, I mean, you're now like 56, right?
6: Yeah. Yeah. I was just counting. I was thinking, am I 57? No, but I think I'm 56. Yeah. 60, okay. Right? Yeah.
1: I mean, it's cooler to be 57 <clears throat> and still be making the sort of music. Yeah. But this, the, the thing making. is,
6: is that this is kind of an interesting thing. It's just that young people, they're constantly told that the best part of their life is when they're young. Well, you couldn't give me my twenties pickled. I was miserable. I was dark and miserable and stultified, you know, mm. uh, um, as a middle-aged woman um, and even young people go Ooh, 56 like that's middle-aged you're older than the middle-aged it's like well whatever you want to call it mate but you know you know, don't miss in your own bed because if you're lucky you'll be this age and then you're going to yeah. be moaning about some young you know some young gi- giving you an hard time about it but, yeah, yeah. but the point of the matter is you, you, you live life better when you're older because you're more sound you're not susceptible to other people's influences you're not as fragile you know it's a good place to be I like it
0: you and your song is new Go love the go
1: We've had a couple of references already of people expecting you to make music a certain way yeah so the title track is extraordinary other and and i hear you're going to play it for us
6: yeah i mean other is is like you say the title track and yet represents the rest of the album uh, pro- probably less than anything else as it's the, the most stripped down me and um guy on piano uh other really talks about me and many other people feel like we've been, you know, separate from the mainstream of society and yet in, in that separateness we have this place where we come together where we can understand one another's language and at the same time the sorrow we feel about the fact that, that, we, that we speak differently.
0: I don't know precisely which day Coloured me other Perchance it may have been a slow bleed So I cut out whichever shape I need I don't sue for rescue I'm as free as I have ever been Don't want another rock to hang about my neck You see bedeweled I see but dead In dead stuff And nothing touching me Nothing touching me Open windows, I call the birds that do not come. You beak and dead, I'd welcome bones, bleach off the city. This heart so lightly thrown I say disown, I hear disown It sounds familiar stars I don't want to look upon another word this deal so lightly spent and what says here means came and when it sounds familiar Things touching me
1: Allison Moyer with John Garden and Sean McGee backing her up. Other live on Sound Opinions. Extraordinary stuff. You seem like someone who now no longer worries about compromising.
6: Yeah, well, I, to be honest, I never worried about compromising. I didn't compromise, you know. Not not after, you know, maybe one one year, I tried it, you know. And I just realised I couldn't make, you know, when you're standing up on stage and singing a song, you don't feel good about. Think, enough now, you know. But our voices change. What strikes you as important when you're 16, it's not the same thing when you're older. And so the only way I can liken it is a bit like an ex-husband, you know. Mm. It's like. Um, you know this. This is this was a brilliant person. You really had a fantastic time with them, uh, but you both moved on. And you, you know, yeah. and you know they will be a brilliant partner to someone else. You just never want to sleep with them again.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just like that. And there's not you know, been there, done that.
6: Yeah, you've been there and done that, and and they're, they're perfectly worthy of love. It's just that your eyes are somewhere else now. If I have to just dial it in, I'll, I will not do it. And there are a couple of songs that I cannot do it for that reason. Yeah, I won't do "A Week in the Presence of you Beauty" know, and I won't do "Invisible," mm-hmm. and that's caused a lot of. Um,
1: People uh, love invisible, well, yeah. and and
6: they've got every right to do it. But for me, I can't do it for a couple of reasons. I've got I've got older, so this whole kind of whining about a man thing, it just doesn't sit. You know, like you know, it does not sit with me. Yeah. And then beyond that, I've become more and more entrenched in my Europeanness. You know, and we all know that you know, young British singers when they first start singing, um, you know, you take on this Midwest drawl that it is not <laughs> ours. You know, and that song yeah. written by Lamont Dozier, a, a yeah. very American a great Great writer, as great, American great song. As guest, it's, yeah. it's as American as you can get, and so for me to sing that song, I have to put on such a dishonest hat mm. that, that I, I can't. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not. Um, I'm not a covers act.
1: to figure out how to segue into this question. So, when people write hate mail to me mm. about a review they've uh, disagreed, they always start out, "Dear Fat," fill in the curse word, right? right. And it always strikes me as like. You think maybe I haven't noticed yeah. you know, until you age exactly. fifty three. It's like gee, you know.
6: I never guessed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I never guessed I carried some weight. Right, like, right, right. Do you know what is fantastic because you've really hurt me because I've never heard that
1: word before. Never heard that. Never heard Where it. did you come up Where with that? Up with Where did that? you come up with it? And I'm what they crushed. don't
6: get is that when you've heard it as many times as we will have heard it, it's like it's just a descriptive word and it's like, yeah. I'll use it about myself because do you know it's not an insult, it's just a fact. Yeah, Big yeah. bird. Do you know what I mean? And? Do
1: you know what I mean? Like, you know, a big bird, yes.
6: It's like, you know, it's like, you know, it, and, and also it's not like it's an unusual state. This just happens to us in media world. It's right, like, right. mate, look in the mirror. Yeah. Look in the mirror. Yeah. I've got things I could tell you about yourself. I'm not yeah. going to because I know that you're more vulnerable than I am.
1: Yeah. Um. You were, as you said, a, a physical presence. Yes. You know, circa the early days, Alf and and Yazoo. Um and, and of course, A, being a woman in music or any sort of entertainment, you've got that cross to bear, mm-hmm. right? You know, we expect you to live up to this uh, body image and, yeah, and yeah. be a sort of – and then being a larger woman, right? Mm-hmm. And now being a middle-aged woman, as you say. And, you know, one of the things I find so inspiring about your music is, is it's never seemed to make any difference to you as an artist, to your fans, and certainly not to the art.
6: No, it doesn't. It makes a difference to the media. It mm. makes a difference to certain people who engage with music because they see it as, as some kind of glitter to their uh, lifestyle. They, they see it as a, a badge wearing. It's, it's, it's not an accoutrement cool.
1: to your groovy lifestyle. Yeah, it's,
6: it's it's not cool because you're not feeling it, you know. Yeah. And uh, to me, someone that's really cool is someone that can stand alone, yes. a, iconoclastic, and say, "This is who I am. I don't need your approval." Oh, yeah.
1: You know, I think if I had to choose uh, one word to describe uh, much of the uh, songwriting you've done, all of it, through the whole, it's storytelling. You really seem interested in telling stories, and you want to tell the stories you're interested in now.
6: Well, I'm telling the stories that I see. And this is the great thing about this this last album. I mean, I changed my life Mm -hmm. massively a few years back. I lived in the big house in the country where i didn't recognize my neighbors from one 10 years to the next you know I just you didn't see them you you went in through your gated drives and i just had enough of this lifestyle i mm. I, I burnt all my belongings i trashed everything all my gold discs all my history really everything, everything. I, Complete I got purging rid of, i purged everything my itineraries my stage clothes you, you could have lot. sold
1: them on ebay I don't want to
6: sell them. I could have sold them on eBay, but that—that that, you know—you're sitting there talking about nostalgia being the right, death. That's right, like right. saying I—I I, I am at an end. I have ended here by yeah. my life. And yeah. there's some things that just aren't for sale. Right. It's just not for sale. I'm not for sale. I've never been for sale. Um, got rid of the house. Got, got rid of the big car. Got rid of everything. and Moved into a terrace in Brighton. In—in mm-hmm. a—I've in, got no off-street parking. I walk everywhere. And, and instead of being this person that all my life has been observed, has always been remarkable, and I'm not saying that as a compliment, people have always had something to say about me, you know, like saying yeah. the fat girl or the big girl, the girl was pulled to, uh, built to pull a cart, the girl that was too aggressive, all these c- kind of things, you know, suddenly I'm in the background and I'm able to observe and, and I can write about what I see and the empathy I feel about my... You know, fellow man, and 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 young people trying to understand themselves. It's, it's, it's that. It's just I, I. I'm describing. I describe what I see, and mm-hmm. I'm finding that really thrilling.
1: I'm wondering a young woman who says, Aunt Allison. Yes, I'm not conventionally beautiful. Yeah, I'm I'm fatter or I'm tall. Yeah, yeah. I'm geeky. I'm yep. whatever, you know. But I love to sing, and I believe I can make it as a singer. Right. Uh, because you not only didn't take the industry's advice or, yep. or way to push you, but you didn't take conventional societies either.
6: No. Well, uh, what I say to everyone is is when people say to me, "I want to become a singer," I say, "Sing then." And, you know, if you're asking me how you become a famous singer, I can't tell you that. Right.
0: right do you know what right, I mean
6: right, right. it's like? But the point of the matter is, if this is truly what you want to do, then it's irrelevant whether you're playing to 10 people in that club or yeah. whether you're singing to 10 million. You know, you, you have to be coming from this from an earnest point, uh, point of view to wanting to be famous is not enough. Yeah. You know, even wanting to sing is not enough because, you know, the, the world is inundated with great vocal talent. Mm-hmm. And you and I know just by watching... X factor. The yeah. vocal talent is not enough. It's not enough. Having a great voice is not enough. Yeah, You have to have some other angle to you. And it can't be something that you've just conjured up or, or been cynical it's about. Not it's not a gimmick. It's not a gimmick. It's you've a story either, to it's, tell. It's, what it's, have it's, you got to say? You've either, yeah, there's either, and it's not about my granny's dying and I'm singing for her. It's like yeah, no yeah, one yeah. gives a Everyone's granny dies. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? You know, and it's like, I can't bear that. Yeah, I can't yeah, bear yeah, yeah. all that nonsense. So I'm singing for them. No, you're not. You're singing for yourself. Let's be honest about that. We do this for ourselves. Yeah. This is a selfish pursuit. I didn't sing for my kids. If my kids are, you know, my kids will be saying, stay home. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? We're doing it for ourselves. Let's, let's not play games with this. You,
1: well, you, you sing or, or uh, people who want to write. Uh, sing or write because they can't imagine not doing it just the same way as they ca- can't imagine not eating or oh breathing. I can
6: imagine I can imagine not doing it plenty, really? you plenty can of times giving yeah, it up I can. Yeah, so I, I think about it all the time I can imagine it all the time I just don't I just can't I love singing yeah. I, I hate all the rigmarole that goes around it I yeah, hate sure. the fact that I still have to impress upon people I am not your nostalgia yeah. uh, You know, or, or I am not responsible for your nostalgia if you feel nostalgia whatever you feel are your feelings you've got as much right to them as I have to my own but it's like, you know, um, you don't owe me anything. When you want to stop listening to me, you can stop listening to me any time you like, and you do. Mm-hmm. You know, you can tell that because you can sell, sell millions of records, then you sell hundreds of thousands, then you might sell tens of thousands. Yeah. People stop listening to you when they want to do it. They don't owe you. And to the same token, I don't owe anybody seeing the material they choose for me.
0: There are days come be your Here and take up my mind Let there be no fire. Put your You're
6: going to play us a song. What are you going to perform, Alison? Uh, we're going to play "The Rarest Birds," and uh, this goes on to what we were talking about about uh, observing. This is the song that I wrote about Brighton. Now, Brighton, where I live, is a town of great diversity. You know. Um, um, it's got a big LGBTQ community, uh, uh, trans people, uh, uh, old eccentric people, young people who have no care for mm. uh, wearing feathers. You know, it's like this: it's that real mixture and diversity really proves itself to be a, you know, to, to be something that can function really healthily. And this song, "The Rare Spurs," this is me singing ab- ab- about watching these these young people, or indeed these old people, coming out. Mm. Into a place where they can feel brave and are accepted and are loved and I'm, you know and I'm loving them with this song.
0: In this town, forget who you are remembering who you were meant to be. Find yourself bearing easy Mercury side
1: Birds by Allison Moyet live on Sound Opinions. It's been a real treat to have you here, Allison Moyer on Sound Opinions. You can come back anytime. Oh, that would be lovely. Thank you so much. That wraps up our conversation with Allison Moyer. If you have thoughts or opinions on Allison, call 888 859 1800 and leave us a message. Greg, what do we have on the show next week?
2: Next week, Jim, we have an in depth conversation with the hip hop artist Vic Mensa, who released one of the best albums of 2017. People that aren't from Chicago sometimes don't don't understand how it is that you could be, you know, five
4: blocks from the projects and five blocks from Obama's house. But it's a real thing.
0: Chicago Saturdays in the park and Sundays in church kept me from off the corner with Stones and GDs was up, boring. GDK? and Kings and BDs and VLs I had dreams of being Jordan, even dope things was scoring Swish, trying to be like Mike shooting through that bass in they veins, trying to veins
1: Greg, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Colin Ashmead Bobbitt recorded the session with Allison Moyet and Sound Opinions is produced by Brendan Banisak, Alex Claiborne, and Ayanna Contreras. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic.
2: So now it's time to hear what you have to say.
7: Hey
4: guys, this is Karen in Slothmore, Illinois. Ever since you had last year's Valentine's Day special... I've been thinking about how you had your apologies theme, and I was thinking, man, a really great theme would be to have pleading to get back together. So if bands could get back together, if the sound opinions fans could all plead for bands to get back together, who
3: would we plead for? And I put in my vote for Uncle Tupelo. Maybe that's a consideration for a future episode and there's my vote thanks so much guys keep up the great work and keep up um the wonderful platform for us music fans to be able to voice our opinions bye
4: Hello, lads. This is Greg calling from Lambertville, New Jersey. Thanks for the segment about the recently deceased Rick Hall and the Muscle Shoals music scene. As a heads up to you guys and your listeners, there's a very fine 2013 documentary about the scene, titled appropriately enough, Muscle Shoals. I highly recommend it. Take good care and keep up the
0: good work. Mustang Sally.
5: You better slow your Hi there, my name is Jonathan and I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. And I just wanted to say how much I enjoyed your show with Sam Dean of Iron and Wine. I'm a huge fan and it was such a cool interview and I'm very excited about the new album to get a chance to listen to that. Uh, and I did want to leave what I thought was my my favorite song, and probably my favorite song of all time is "Carousel" off of The Shepherd's Dog.
0: Almost home when I miss the bottom stair. You were in your gray hair, and it grown so long since I. Died.
5: You know, Sam is just such an amazing songwriter, artist. He's a poet. He's a storyteller. And for me, that song is just so powerful. I mean, there's really, it's, it's tough to even describe how magical it is. So, anyway, thank you so much for that interview and for getting, uh, you know, a chance to hear some of the new album and, and some of the, the older songs as well. And love the show. Thank you.
4: Hi, this is Chris from Chicago, uh, calling about iron and wine. I've been a big fan of his for years. Uh, I'd have to say my favorite song might be House by the Sea. That was off of the Shepherd's Dog album.
0: house by the sea And an ocean between it and me And like the shape of a the wave. Then jealous sisters will sing on my grave
4: uh, I think it represents a lot about what I like about his music, it's built around this single guitar riff that was dressed up on the album with the band, uh, but you hear it live and it still really holds its own and really sounds great. Uh, but most of all about his music it's the lyrics that I really get into, the storytelling, the imagery, all the interesting metaphors that he puts in there. You know, I'll, I'll find myself listening to a song that I've liked for years, and then I'll just catch something new or think about it in a different context and all of a sudden there's a whole other layer of the song that i can appreciate and get into so uh anyway love the show thanks no more messages
1: to share your opinions on sound opinions call 888-859-1800 We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from
7: WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.